are listening to a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table, a congregation of the Anglican Church of Canada located in Winnipeg, Manitoba. Come, Holy Spirit. Come like a fire and burn. Come like the wind and cleanse. Convict, convert, and consecrate our hearts for our great good and for your great glory. Amen. So today is the Feast of the Transfiguration. It is a magnificent occasion, an occasion of radiant splendor and one worthy of celebration. Though it's kind of an odd thing to have a feast for if you think about it just a little bit. Because what really happened It's not like Christmas, where Jesus was born. And it's not like Good Friday, where he was crucified. And nor is it like Easter, where he rose from the grave. No, he really didn't do anything except for have a talk with some old friends, garner some praise from his father, and glow. And yet, there is something celebratory and magnificent about the whole thing anyways. Let's, let's take a look at our text this evening. <clears throat> if you hadn't noticed, there are some parallels between Exodus and Matthew. In both of the stories, we find travel to the top of a mountain. We find both the voice and the presence of God, And we actually find Moses in both of the readings. And there are some incredible displays of light. In Exodus, apparently it looked like the mountain was covered by clouds that resembled a consuming fire. And in Matthew, Jesus' face shone like the sun and his clothes became white as light. And strangely enough, they both mention the number of days between some major events and what comes after about these mountaintop experiences, but not what happened during those days, just that they passed. More on that in a bit. Now, there are even some parallels that connect these stories to which I'd like to direct our attention, but for these, we need to back up just a little bit in our text, in our, in our stories. The parallels have to do with the events that happened just before both Moses and Jesus went up their respective mountains. Before Moses was called up the mountain, the people of Israel were drawn into covenant with God. God gave them kind of a long to-do list and a way to do them as to how to be a blessing to the world and how to keep themselves right with God. And the final thing about that happened there was the sealing of this covenant. And it happens sort of in four steps. There's a sacrifice of a bull. The altar that they had built was sprinkled with the blood of the sacrifice. And then the people all said together, all that God has spoken, that that covenant, those instructions that we just heard, all that God has spoken, we will do, we will obey. And then the people were sprinkled with that blood of the sacrifice. So the altar shows God's side of the bargain, that God is going to make them the chosen people of of the world to pour out his blessing through them, 
and that he's going to give them the land of Israel. And then their statement together is sort of their consent. They're saying, yes, we're going to hold up our side of the bargain. And then the sprinkling of them with blood is actually the sealing of the whole thing together. This is a covenant that has been made. And in Matthew, what happens right before the journey up the mountain is Jesus predicts his own death. Now, these are parallels because they both speak to the covenant between us and God. In Exodus, the law is given and the Israelites make a covenant then agree to follow the law that's been given to them. And in Matthew, Jesus tells his disciples that he is the one who's going to fulfill the law and follow through on that covenant in their place. And then we have this mountaintop experience. Now we get now to our readings tonight. But in our readings tonight, there's that little interesting detail in both stories where both authors mention six days pass between these acts of declaration and the ascent up the mountain. It was on the seventh day that the encounter happened in both stories. You see, both texts seem to be pointing backwards. Matthew says that after six days, Jesus called his disciples to follow him. Now, the mention of that six days points to Exodus by alluding to the six days that Moses was waiting halfway up the mountain to be called by God into the, into the clouds. And then, in Exodus, the author says that on the seventh day, Moses was called into the cloud, which alludes to the seventh day of creation that we find in the beginning of Genesis. So did you get that? Matthew points to Exodus by talking about six days, and Exodus points to creation by talking about the seventh day. And how does this relate to transfiguration, Andrew? It does, I promise. There is a beautiful play with time happening in the Word here tonight. With each of these texts pointing backwards from one to another, in a way they're drawing each other closer together. There's this lovely idea of time that isn't simply the marching forward of events, but one that considers the fact that we actually feel closer to the past at different times than others. It's an idea about time that is more about feel than a clock. So think about it maybe like this. On Christmas Eve, don't you feel closer to Christmas Eve's past than you do on some random afternoon in the summer? I think so. Or maybe you feel closer to someone who's died on their birthday or anniversary than some random Tuesday. It was Charles Taylor who coined the phrase called higher time, a feeling of time that doesn't move only in one direction but actually has a sense of drawing different points of history closer together in a more spiritual way when these events happen now. It's, it's quite beautiful, really. 
And in a funny way, I think that's what's going on in Matthew and Exodus this evening. They each are drawing elements of the word of God closer together, Matthew to Exodus. And remember that he was writing primarily to Jewish audiences, so the illusion would not have been missed on them or lost on them, and and Moses was there, so that helped. And then Exodus to the creation narrative. So in a very real sense, Matthew is drawing closer to the covenant and to the commandments as well as creation as he's telling his story of transfiguration. And that's spectacular. Now, as strange as this all sounds, and I admit it sounds a bit strange, this is an idea we're already very familiar with. During the Eucharistic prayer, When the bread turns into the body of Christ, Christ really is here in the building. It's his presence that makes it not merely the table of the church, but in fact the table of Christ. He is the host at all of our meals around this circle. And the meal that we'll have here tonight is the same meal that was hosted in the upper room 2,000 years ago. And if that's the case for our table... It's the case for every other table that's having communion tonight and all that have passed and all that will come. So in that higher sense, we are eating with that cloud of witnesses and the communion of all the saints all together. Again, spectacular. I try to imagine how massive Christ's table must actually be. When we say more than we can ask or imagine, I think this is where we hit the point of can't imagine. (laughs) And again, at first, the transfiguration and Eucharist might not seem to fit together, but they both play with time and the way we experience it. And the way they kind of play with each other is even more fun. I mean, think about it. Tonight... We call to mind in our readings, we call to mind and draw closer to that event that happened up in the mountain with the disciples and Jesus and Moses and Elijah. We're celebrating the transfiguration. We're drawing closer to them tonight. Where Jesus' skin shone like the sun and his clothing emanated light. They were the source of light themselves. And tonight, we remember, we draw closer to a different kind of Jesus, a transfigured Jesus, a different kind of Jesus than we're used to. We're used to the Jesus, the teacher telling parables, the healer giving sight to the blind, the rabbi debating in the temple, the miracle worker, the feeding the thousands, the persecuted, the helpless babe, the crucified, even the resurrected Jesus where walls can't contain him. But rarely do we think about drawing near to Jesus the simply magnificent, the utterly divine, the luminescent, where even time cannot contain him. That is the Jesus we draw closer to on this night of the Transfiguration. So as we celebrate communion tonight, and the bread becomes the body, Think not of the teacher, of the healer, of the rabbi, of the persecuted, the crucified, but of the magnificent, the radiant, the divine, the time-warping Jesus that is here in our midst. And not only that, 
draw closer to Moses and Elijah, draw closer to that covenant that makes us the blessing to the nations, draw closer even to that very creation of the cosmos. Because tonight, on this Feast of the Transfiguration, it's all here. Amen. This has been a sermon podcast from St. Benedict's Table. For information on our church and to access the full catalog of our podcasts going all the way back to 2006, visit us online at stbenedictstable.ca. In addition, if you are interested in supporting our online work, you can find information on the website using the Donate button located on the top right-hand corner. Thanks for listening.